folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch the baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Hey everyone, Matthew Collar here. We'll get into the show in just a second, but first got to tell you about Abner Maris, a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, a dad to two little girls. Beloved by Abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Maris, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer he is today. He will discuss the state of boxing, sports, music, culture, and his American dream. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Maris wherever you get your podcast. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish are out on Wednesdays. All right, let's get to the show. Welcome into another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, along with Judd Zolgad, the one and only. And uh, this week, Judd, I've spent a lot of time talking about the past, talking about the future, but not so much time talking about the present. Will you help me break down a game between the Minnesota Vikings and the Atlanta Falcons? Because it's happening, and we are here, and it's going to be in front of us on Sunday, and that's the reason to do it. I would be more than happy to help break down a rematch, a rematch of the 1998 NFC title game, Matthew Collar. <laughs> Nothing I'd like more. You know, it is so much more fun to talk about old Falcons and Vikings than it is to talk about this Falcons and Vikings and uh, how somehow Chris Chandler went 14-2 and um, with the Atlanta Falcons that year and offense went crazy and Moss and everything else. But let's first talk about Drew Samia and stuff because why not? So Drew Samia is out with a wrist injury, and I'm not going to directly say that the Vikings are – making up an injury so he can be benched. Uh, but let's just say good timing for them coming off of the worst offensive line single performance that I have ever seen uh, by Drew Samia. And if you think it's hyperbole, then listen to the earlier episode this week of Jeremiah Searles enraged watching the tape of Drew Samia. So he's out. Uh, ben Gessling of the Star Tribune reports that Brett Jones has taken some first-team reps to get his feet wet, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to play. The door is wide open if Ezra Cleveland can play football at all, if he could put his helmet and his pads, maybe knee pads. I don't know if guys wear those anymore. No. Um, if he no, could put his neck roll on, if yes. he could strap 
off his shoes together, he will be better than what we've seen. So I think, Judd, that the most likely combination is the tackles stay the same. Ezra Cleveland plays left guard. Dakota Dozier moves to right. Garrett Bradbury stays in his spot. And that becomes our storyline of the day is what did second round pick Ezra Cleveland look like at guard? I think you're 1,000% right about your prediction, Matthew Collar. And I will say this uh, as far as a point of interest. If that is not what occurs on Sunday, you can sound the alarm on Ezra Cleveland, in my opinion. Because if we've just seen, I believe it was four weeks of Samia at right guard, which is just an absolute train wreck. Here's the, here is how you know how bad it, it was on Sunday. Ordinarily, when a professional athlete stinks, you rip him, right? Like, And he deserves it. Um very rarely in a regular season game do I feel empathy for a person playing a sport. I felt empathy. I felt bad. I'm like, take him out, not because I hate him. Take him out because this is not fair to him, his parents. Like, it's unfair. Uh, if Cleveland does not play left guard and, and Dozier, who I think started three of four of the games that he did start last year at right guard, uh, something has gone very wrong here because this is a second-round pick, and I know he was drafted as a left tackle, but he has played in practice at left guard. That transition is not exactly uh, rocket science from what I've been told. So I really think the thing to watch is what they do with that line. Because if they decide that Brett Jones should play and Ezra Cleveland should not, it becomes a big, big question mark, in my opinion, of exactly what's going on with Cleveland when six or seven games in, you still don't think a second-round pick is capable of playing. And I would want to know if they thought he was a guard the whole time and then got sort of surprised that he wasn't able to play guard, or if they have mixed him in a tackle in practices that we didn't see after training camp, because the way it works is we get to watch training camp, but as soon as they shut it down after a couple of weeks, you don't get to see who's on the first team, second team, third team. Otherwise, we'd be telling you about it all the time, but they close practice up uh, after that, and we don't get to see that. So we don't know if he's been taking a lot of reps at tackle. Gary Kubiak said that they've been mixing him in at both spots. That might be just the thing you say. I don't have any feel for what they think of Ezra Cleveland long-term. Like, was the idea to do this all along, to have him get a couple of weeks under his belt of practice because he wouldn't be ready with the truncated offseason and then have him prepared? Because initially, I thought that that was the plan. When he was with the second team during training camp, I thought, oh, this makes so much sense. So they'll just have to kind of plug the spots with Dozier and Elfline, but then they'll pull out Dozier after five or six weeks. They'll put him in the Brian O'Neill plan. It's laid out right there for you. Um, but then that didn't really really happen after a few weeks and now there's an injury that opens the door for it to happen and so if it doesn't then I don't know what that says does it say that he can't play guard does it say he can't play at all and is just a bust from the very start and if you think it can't happen Laquan Treadwell everybody from the very yeah. beginning he couldn't get on the field as a rookie and if you're a first or second round pick and you can't get on the field as a rookie it's really concerning. So it makes all the sense in the world here. And the explanation I think would be fine if they said, hey, we just had to kind of hold on for dear life there until we could get him up to speed. I even buy that with Justin Jefferson. Like this is an off season that we have never, ever seen before. It's harder on rookies. I don't think that we can even fathom how much there is to process as a rookie in the NFL in terms of getting the playbook down, knowing the techniques and so forth, especially when you're coming from Boise State. So I would have a lot of patience for that 
if he's in at left guard. If it's Brett Jones filling in at right guard, I agree then, yes, this is a cause for concern. Is he not picking it up? Does he not have the technique down? Why do they think he is so not ready to pop in? But the other thing I would question too, Judd, is why did you play Drew Samia? I mean, he looked bad in preseason uh, as a rookie. He looked bad in week 17 as a rookie. He looked bad in training camp all the way through. He did not even slightly press Pat Elfline for the starting job. And here's old Brett Jones, like a guy who's been around. He's a good pass blocker. No, he ain't quick, but he will at least not get your quarterback killed. And they could have used that against Seattle. All right. You just explored a very interesting path, in my opinion, about the philosophy of of the 2020 Vikings. And I must admit, it leaves me perplexed at times. And that is this part. Some of what they've done and and the head coach's uh, lack of patience seems to me to be he's trying to win right now. But some of what they are doing is definitely geared to 2021, right? And so the one thing with Cleveland, and this is going to sound brutal, but it might be true. The one thing with holding Cleveland out until now, if he does start on Sunday, would have been a fear that they were going to put him in too quickly at left guard he was a left tackle and that they were afraid that if they did that he would struggle and possibly be set back um to answer your question about Samia one he's a year into it because he was a fourth round pick in 2019 the second part is I'm not sure they care about him as a person like if he succeeded great if he didn't okay too bad he's gone um but there's a lot of there's a lot of sort of in my opinion contradictory things about this team that I don't get uh, because it's in some ways like they're trying to win, but but then they've got these these corners, some of whom are developing, but they've got these corners who were clearly going to struggle, and guess what? They've struggled. The offensive line is protecting a huge investment in Cousins, but the offensive line, it's got some parts, but it's not set. So I think my overriding storyline for the 2020 Vikings so far is a question, and it's what was your goal? Like, like, was your goal to be this? Which, by the way, if you say yes, I almost say congratulations, good job. Um, but I also feel like there's some people with that team who are trying to win right now, Matthew, and that's what confuses me uh, because it, it's almost it's almost like there's different agendas at play here, and it's position by position. And I'm not sure that if you put all the pieces of this together as a puzzle. I'm not sure it fits because some things are very much geared towards the future and some things are very much geared towards trying to win each Sunday. And it leaves me slightly confused. Personally, I like the 2021 plan much more. Yeah, and that's where a move like, say, trading for Yannick Ngakwe doesn't quite add up with many other things. Now, you could say, oh, well, we love Ngakwe and the chance to get him and then sign him long term. Now, that's exciting, and that's why we did that, not for this year. It doesn't come really across that way, though, necessarily. I mean, it felt much more like, "Uh uh-oh, Hunter's really tweaked whatever he hurt, so he's going to be out for a while, and we better get somebody else to pass rush. And I had somebody say that to me that it seemed like a panicked move and this team has made many panicked moves since 2017 and I mean you could even go back before that and getting Sam Bradford I would endorse that move at the time but um, you know since 2017 it's been like gotta win gotta win gotta do everything we can gotta make these moves and uh, the shrewdness 
hasn't necessarily been there when signing certain people to extensions and, and so forth. And so then you get, all right, well, you know what? If you think that you can win this year, that's okay. But sign a veteran corner, sign a veteran guard, right? Like fill these positions that are clearly massive, massive holes that could go very wrong and really ruin a lot of things for you. So that's where it doesn't really add up for me either um, because if like you said if the plan was entirely 2021 all in then playing Drew Samia you're like well at least you found out but the other night this is where it really gets me though you watch the indie game awful I mean just as bad as it gets okay fine that's his first game not great but then you watch the Tennessee game and it's worse it's like th- this he just got annihilated and uh, Jeremiah Searles went through some of the easy plays that he missed, a blitzing linebacker that's always 100% of the time the guard's assignment. He just doesn't block them at all, like things like that. That's where you say, okay, we've actually got a chance, as weird as it sounds, to beat Seattle, be 2-3, and three, feel really good about things, beat Atlanta, go to Green Bay, and the path is for us to make the playoffs in a year where now there's seven playoff teams. And you don't start Brett Jones. To me, that's the time where you start Brett Jones because yeah. you yeah. need, well, I mean, you, you need one yard there on, on the play behind your right guard, even if it wasn't necessarily his fault. But you need a better pa- pass protection. Uh, maybe he doesn't get, uh, it was more on Dozier that he got strip uh, sacked there. But, you know, just a lot of pressure came from there. A lot of run stuffs came from just directly through the right guard. That's where it's confusing to me. But then again, Judd, we've seen even in win now type of situations, they just roll with somebody. Like we're just going to keep running TJ Clemmings out there. And you'll, I mean, you and I, I remember distinctly with being like, this has to change and it just didn't change. And they just kept allowing TJ Clemmings to go out there for the whole 2016 season. Do you think it's pride? Like, it doesn't seem to me that there are times where they continue to play guys uh, beyond the point of it making any sense. And the only thing I can come down to is, and I don't know if it's Mike, I don't know if it's Rick, a combination, but it seems to be that there's some players who they've got this pride with. Okay, here's here's a perfect one. Because in my mind, Gladney and Dantzler, and I, I know they've goofed up, but I think that they're players and Hughes. Um, Holton Hill to me just can't play. Like he's just not that good, yeah, right? Yeah. But Holton Hill until until he got hurt, um, continued playing and playing. And it's like and and he's not the first guy, to your point of Clemmings. Um, you've had these guys where, you know, a game or two in, it doesn't take the trained eye to say, okay, this guy shouldn't play as much, and perhaps in Clemmings place, he shouldn't play at all. And they don't yank them. And I could never I can never figure out if that's some type of false pride about draft picks or free agent signings. But it seems like there is a, a um, that oftentimes with the Vikings, who, by the way, also make a lot of good decisions, oh, yeah. uh, it, that there's a that there's this sense of false pride there. And it's like you are doing nothing but hurting your team by continuing to play these guys. And, and I would say since you started to cover the team, there's probably been about eight of those guys where we'll just say, yank the guy. It's fine. I mean, Treadwell's the the number one example. And he's a first round pick. So I sort of get that one, but like Clemmings or or Holton Hill, like Holton Hill, he just can't keep up. He just can't do it. So it's just very odd that, that there's this counterproductive because common sense would say, you've seen the guy, you've seen the tape. You can sort of tell pretty quickly. Right. And the Vikings don't say, you know what? That's right. They say, Hell no, let's give that kid another shot. And you just want to tear your hair out because it makes no sense. 
want to remind you to go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. If you have not seen this stuff yet, you've got to check it out. One of my favorite designs is of the Metrodome. I have a t-shirt of this one myself, and it's perfect for those of you who grew up going to the Metrodome. All of their apparel is screen-printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. And we're going to hook you up with free shipping on your next order. Use code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That's SodaStick, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K dot com. Original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code Purple Insider for free shipping. Yeah, the, uh, I mean, but the Treadwell one, I mean, that cost them, I think, a game or two in 2018, just sticking with him as the number three receiver. I will make another point about this, though. As long as I've been covering the team, they have spent right up to the very last penny on the salary cap and what that yep. does not allow you by keeping all of your stars. It does not allow you any room for error. Somebody gets hurt and you are in trouble. Uh, uh, if you can't, if you have a guy that you thought could play and he can't, there are usually no other options. And I think Drew Samia proves that you might've not liked Pat Elfline, but that means his backup's usually worse. And so, <laughs> you know, that, that's what, that's what it shows. And when you spend up to the cap and you need a number three receiver, you end up with Aldrick Robinson as opposed to like someone good. And hey, the Kirk same, liked him. right. And the same, I mean, body. He caught some touchdowns. He's a great guy. Like, I love talking with Aldrick Robinson, but he's not, like, a prize that you bring in. You end up taking a swing at Josh Doxson. That doesn't work out. You end up with Chad Beebe as your number three right now. And, again, great guy, and it's a cool story. But, I mean, that's there are other teams with number three wide receivers who are stars, and your number three is just kind of a guy. And so these weaknesses can't get filled in with average players because you're spending so much, and it's not just on Kirk. This was a Kirk point, but I think it's changed to a bar point, a cook point, uh, lots of other players, an Ngakwe, a Anthony Harris. Like you didn't have to pay any of those people and you paid them all. So that's what you put yourself in a very thin margin with positions that are unclear. And, it, and in 2017, guys like Joe Berger and um, Nick Easton and you know, like they worked out. But in other years, it doesn't work out. And that's what we've run into here. Um, I want to ask you about the Atlanta Falcons, the team the Vikings are playing against this week. Magic. Um, nothing, nothing to lose Falcons is what I like to call them. Do you think it's a real thing with teams where they get their coach fired and then play harder after? Or is that just sort of, is that just sort of random? Um, I think it's a real thing depending on the coach and how, how much that guy is despised. There is no question in my mind the Houston Texans came out yes. last week and worked their ass off because yep. you know who they hated? Bill O'Brien. Yep. Now, was Dan Quinn despised? I don't know. But I do think it's a real thing that teams get a little bit of a second wind, especially if they're not absolutely horse crap, which I don't think the Falcons are. They're a weird team, um, and, and their uh, pass defense is atrocious. But I don't think overall they're a terrible, t- terrible team. But here's what scares me this week, and I know that the Vikings aren't good, but if I'm – if I'm Zim, what frightens me, the Falcons fired their coach. The Falcons then had a COVID-19 scare, so they didn't practice, right? So, like, the Falcons have – they're going to come in here loose. They're 0-5. Yep. They're going to come yep. in loose as can be. And I know that my players are th- thinking it's a home game. We've lost all these close games. Man, we're, we're not that bad, right? Like, this is the ultimate trap to be to be like, oh, my God, it's 21-3 to Falcons. What happened? Um, so I think it's more of a case by case on if teams relax more so or come in and play more inspired football after their coach gets fired. But this is sort of a weird week 
And if I'm Zim, I'm very, very concerned that my guys are like, we're going on the bye. We're not that good. Falcons really suck. Yeah, we'll be good. Yeah. You know, I am picking the Vikings for this game, so I don't want anyone to misunderstand and make it sound like I think the Falcons are going to win. I do not. I think they come here and they give up a bleep ton of yards and points and it's, you know, 28 to 17 or something like that. However, if there is a situation where a team kind of has that emotional collapse, it's when you just had the game that was really, really tense. And then the next week you come back with no wind in your sails. And we saw that in the Green Bay game from week two to week three, 2018, that Mm -hmm. the next game was Buffalo, where they just completely no-showed. We saw that in the 2017 NFC Championship from the Minneapolis Miracle game to the next one. Now, they didn't win against Seattle, but that was a long trip out to the West Coast. It was a lot of pressure. It was a very tense game. It also was 88 plays, which is an insane amount of work for a lot of your guys on the offense. I mean, that's that's a lot that they had to do in that game. And I think that with this team, there have been a few times where we say, wow, they just got that big win or they just had that close loss. They're going to come back and they're going to be, you know, all jacked up. And then you get the next week is when you kind of have the other side of that hill. And it's possible. I don't think it's going to happen. It's possible. You also don't have Delvin Cook. I think that teams realize now that if you play two deep safeties aside from Houston, it makes it harder for the Vikings to throw the ball down the field. And if you make them throw short, it's harder. But this is also a defense that – you know, you don't really know what you're getting. I mean, they have played a single high before, but Raheem Morris might just look at it and say, well, this is how you play the Vikings. And here's the weird thing I came across with Raheem Morris defense. He actually, his defenses in Tampa Bay allowed a lot of running yards. And so I would expect that, but they also seem to get a lot of interceptions. And so are we, if you're going to win, I think this is the way to win as a defense this year in 2020, because everybody's getting shredded. And so when this is, just sorry to make a side point here, but Vikings mm-hmm. offense, it's back. It's so good. Everyone's offense is good. You're just kind of caught up. Um, but, uh, you know, so like turnovers might be the way that defenses that are bad, and Seattle did it last week. If you're a bad defense, but you can get two turnovers, you've got yep. yourself a shot. And I think they should be a little concerned about Raheem Morris just sending the house or being really risky uh, and hoping to get Kirk Cousins to turn the ball over. Yeah, and he's got what? I believe he's thrown seven picks so far through six all of last year. And the Vikings are something like, I think they're tied for 28th in a turnover differential at minus five, which is really, really bad. So, yeah, there, there's no question that I, I agree. The Vikings, in my opinion, are going to win. I'm just putting together the pieces of a team that's not that good, but certainly could be a little bit cocky. Oh, man, the Titans barely beat us. The Seahawks barely yep. beat us. Yep. And then the Falcons are, are like, you know what? We'll take a win. So I think it's going to be a weird game. I think it's definitely going to be a weird game. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. You you might have a great point. I don't know that the Falcons won't come in in here and pick off Kirk a couple times and a ball gets dropped once. And uh, as coaches say, man, there is nothing harder to go against than quick change, especially a team like this, because quick change could lead to uh, some touchdowns for the Falcons. So um, what if they win is not an exciting question. It's meh. Like, what if they win? Okay, then you're two and four. And you better hope that you're, what was it, the uh, 99 Vikings that were two and four and Jeff George came to save the day? Great. Good for you. So that 2005, same thing. Season isn't over at two and four. 
you've got yourself a shot. So yep. there you go. Yep. Now you got to go to Green Bay. Now we can hype up that game as if it means something. There, end of story. What if they lose is a interesting question because then I think the what if they lose – then some fingers start getting pointed. Then some seats start getting hot. Then some people start getting in the crosshairs a little bit, I, I think. I, I don't think that you can lose to a team with zero wins and have everyone go, hey, but we made progress. I don't think you get to do that if you lose to Atlanta. Wow. Okay. So I, I've thought about this since the bad start because those first two games were just atrocious, like embarrassingly bad. And I guess we should have been totally shocked, but I sort of was surprised. Um, all right. So so the Wilfs have a, a history, Brad Childress in 2010, of firing coach after a bad loss in, in a season in which the team is falling apart less than a year after reaching the conference title game. So, like, they will do this. But, Matthew, it's a pandemic and there's no fans in the stands, and you yep. just gave Spielman and Zim contract extensions. And if you fire uh, Zim, you're going to have to go pay a real coach then uh, starting with the 2021 season, and are you going to let Rick do that? I I honestly think that if they lose to the Falcons, it's embarrassing, and there will be certainly speculation, God bless it, because I love it, about what's <laughs> going to happen with Mike and with the team. I honestly would be shocked, though, if an ownership group in the middle of a pandemic, uh, which doesn't have fans, and I don't think will for the entire year now, like I don't think that there's a good chance that they're going to say, Let, let's let 15,000 in. Um, I'm going to be very surprised, given the circumstances, I should say, if this team makes an in-season coaching change. Could they get to the end and say, it's been awful, and we, we were promised uh, – something that Rick and Mike didn't deliver on then perhaps, but I don't think unlike 2010, I don't see snap decisions being made because they would be, the financial implications would be so big. Yeah, I do agree with that. And I also think that making decisions during a pandemic in such a weird year is risky to do at the same time. I'm not saying that they would fire anyone after losing to Atlanta. I'm saying that that, um, it's like when it gets a little cold in October and you turn the heat on, like, that's what it's like. It's we're going over and we're pushing the heats on. You're not going full bore as if it's January out there. You're just, you got to kill that cold a little bit. You got to start turning the heat on. I think the heat gets turned on that all of a sudden that conversation now happens is what do they need to do in the second half of the season? The sort of, you know, pseudo second half after the bye. Uh, in order for them to keep their jobs as a front office and a coaching staff. Like, you better show a lot more progress than you've shown so far. And mm-hmm. arguing, hey, we only lost by one. Like, sorry, that just is not compelling to me. You blew two double-digit leads. Like, there's two ways to look at these things. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying, hey, if they lose to Atlanta, can Zimmer now. But – This is nowhere close to what they expected as a franchise. You don't spend to the very top of the salary cap and then think like, oh yeah, we're going to go three and 13 or four and 12. Like that's not the way you view this. You view this as being competitive. You get off to a rough start. You finish seven and nine or six and 10. Okay. Stuff happens on to next year. But um, you know, I think if it starts getting really ugly, that's where you have a problem. So Mike is going, Mike being Mike is, would, is, if they lose this game, definitely going to try it and save himself first. And I think what Mike would do and the Wills will buy it is this. Daniel Hunter got hurt. That's not my fault. Yeah. Michael Pierce opted out. I've got to have him. I don't. Because their tackles, their de- defensive tackles are not good. 
Anthony Barr, who I, I don't think is great, but he got hurt. Um, the, you know, the, the choice to have young cornerbacks was their choice. But I think I think Mike's way of trying to save Mike would definitely be to point out the guys on defense who aren't there and say, look, if I have my, my guys, it's completely different. I didn't. As a whole, though, I mean, there are definitely some questions that can be asked. And I, I would basically start with this one, the offense, the quarterback, the offensive line. I, I honestly think in some ways, if I'm the Wilfs, Matthew, I would have as many questions for Spielman as I would for Mike about the construction of that offense yeah. and why, like, why do you think that you can just go get guards? Like his whole thing is I'll just go to a garage sale in Orono and pick myself up <laughs> a couple guards. It's like, no, like, the, the Wilbs bought this team in 2005, 2006, Brad got the job. And when Childress came here, I believe they signed three or four guys um, off the open market immediately. And one of those guys was Steve Hutchinson on that poison pill contract, a left guard. And at that time, that contract was unbelievable, right? But the Wills were basically told, no, 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 it starts up front. And and that guy was a Hall of Fame player then. So I would have questions about the construction. Like, like they, if you come to me and say, let's extend Kirk to get some cap uh, relief for 2020, I, I get that. But then are you telling me you're not going to properly protect him? Like there's some weird decisions yep. made. And and this offense from the get-go should never have been bad. Even though sports had a break, your business did not. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring even more important than ever, and Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire that you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed with free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division championships, futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today, take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. What you're hinting at is exactly, it's going to be my new hill, I think. My new thing is going to be, why didn't you lean into the Kirk? I mean, if you're going to extend him, 
and you get rid of your number one wide receiver. Okay, you replace them with someone great. Jefferson looks fantastic, but still, like, no one else. I mean, no other wide receivers, no other offensive linemen changed outside of a run-blocking center that you drafted. And, by the way, you're running 50% of the time or more. You're handing off on second down and 10. Like, you didn't really lean into the quarterback that you paid so much for, and so why did you pay so much for him? I don't think he's a bad quarterback at all. I I sit here and wonder why you don't really give him everything and that why that wasn't your number one goal. So, you know, I think that those questions are not asked if they blow the doors off Atlanta, they go to Green Bay. It's a competitive good game against Green Bay. Maybe they beat them. I, I think division games are just a different animal from other games. So even if you're bad and they're good, you've got a chance. And <clears throat> we've seen it many times with the Vikings losing those types of games. Uh, so, you know, and then they go forward. They win the ones they're supposed to win. And they lose the ones they're supposed to lose. That's how I think it goes. But if it goes a different way, I think you're talking about both. It's not just Zim. It's not just Spielman. I think it's both get a little bit antsy about what's going to happen here. So yeah. interesting stuff, Judd. I, I still think they, I still think they take care of business against the Falcons. And I, I think at the very least, if things continue to go sideways, I think that 2021 then becomes incredibly hot. Like oh, as yes. Far as, yes. Like as far as you win or else, and you're yep. both gone, you're both yep. out the door. Like I, if this does not go well, Going into 2021, I don't think is going to be a conversation about, man, Mike or Rick, I think it's going to be both of them. And if they don't have success, and by by success, I mean minimum two playoff wins, which is a lot. But if they don't do that, I think that they're both probably gone. Um, because then at that point in time, you probably have to start to turn the page on Kirk. And I will say this. I don't think Rick and Mike are going to choose my, my next quarterback if I'm the Wills. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Which I think is fair. And uh, this ends your Atlanta Falcons Vikings preview. <laughs> oh, oh man. Dan, just, Reeves, the, Dan Reeves, Chris the, Chandler. The future of the franchise is so much more compelling than Dirty Bird? this particular game. Let's just put it that way. So that's where I got a question for you. Goes. Yeah. Nine, 98. Why, Mr. Football, why did guys wear such huge shoulder pads mm. and what happened? What, like, are they better designed now? Is that why? Like, what happened to the uh, running back like Bo Jackson? Yeah, yeah. With the mammoth shoulder pads, wh- where did those go? Do we yeah, know? there was um, there was an article on this. I think maybe even in like the New York Times about how the so biggest boy. the biggest thing is technology. How they've just been able to accomplish the same things by making them smaller. But also, players have just consistently found that. A, the giant pads didn't do anything much different for them, but B, moving faster is the only way. And the game is less dangerous. It's dangerous, but it's less dangerous. So when you are a wide receiver and no longer can a safety just plow into you, uh, you don't need bigger wide receiver pads. Like even Tim Brown, the guy had big pads. Like by today's standards, no one wear Tim Brown pads. Or, uh, I mean, Randy and uh, Carter had small pads, but that was kind of where it started, I think, is in the late 90s with some of the passing games. That's a big part of it, too. Uh, The passing game becomes more important. Then the defensive players find that that the smaller their pads are, the quicker they move. The defensive guys, it's uh, harder to get their hands on them as offensive linemen. So, you Deion know, had huge pads for a cornerback. Dion had. Oh yeah, yeah. Compared massive, to today, oh yeah, massive pads. Yeah, very and impressive. Still, 
faster than anybody in the game today. Just yeah, very, very true. Just saying. Uh, okay, Judd. Well, this has been super fun, and I appreciate you. your time. And uh, I guess we'll see if there's any dirty bird. But now it's the gritty, and I'm not even going to go there until they win more games with, like, whose dance is better and so forth. you got to win. And whose dance is that? Justin Jefferson's dance. It's his dance, okay. Which and, is, he's, he's earned a dance, but, like, oh, the you got to win some games before anyone cares about your dance. Thielen, not so much. No, he doesn't need to dance. That's not good. That's like at, me dancing. At least Cousins good. isn't trying it like he did uh, two years oh, ago. That oh, was not great. So oh, don't dance, Kirk. All right, that's See enough, Judd. 